WebAssembly is a low-level binary format for the web that is compiled from other languages to offer maximized performance and is meant to augment the places where JavaScript isn't sufficient. High-performance applications like AutoCAD, Figma, and Photoshop are now leveraging the capabilities of WebAssembly to provide native experiences on the web. Matt Butcher is the CEO at Fermion Technologies, and he joins us in this episode. This episode of Software Engineering Daily is hosted by Jordi Mon Companies. Check the show notes for more information on Jordi's work and where to find him. Hi, Matt. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited for today's conversation. So we are here in Open Source Summit uh, North America. Is it your first Open Source Summit? Uh, no, I've been to a lot of them. This is one of my favorite conferences because you get so many different... There's so many different tracks here that you get so many different kinds of developers and so many different open source projects. And it's the one conference I know of that you get this super broad cross section of all the interesting stuff going on in open source. So I rarely miss this one. It's funny because I think I was complaining about that. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, right? right? It's either completely overwhelming or like you get, uh, you get a quarter inch deep in a whole bunch of different things. <laughs> I, I think I was talking to, I think it was Eric Brewer from Google uh-huh, yeah. about this and the same happens in KubeCon, CloudNativeCon, right? Mm-hmm. Even at a bigger scale than this one. Yeah. It's, it's bonkers how many people attend uh, uh, KubeCon. I'll keep, keep going. I think they're at about 5x the number it's of people. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And it's a, a, you know, a very varied and diverse and, and, uh, and even complicated to follow ecosystem. And yet you've got this common thing that is Kubernetes, right? Everything will run in Kubernetes. And yet Open Source Summit has this different tracks of open source, yeah. uh, open SSF this morning, SPDX yesterday. Uh, I'm sure there's a track for WASM or WASM related stuff or not, or maybe not. Not, not se- yet. There will be. Okay. <laughs> if I have my way, there will be. <laughs> Security. So it's, it's, I, I agree with you. It's beautiful. It's great. Uh, it's, it's fun and varied. And yet I think that it's kind of maybe a bit too, um, open in the sense that I wish it had a bit of more of a certain narratives going out there. Right. Yeah. But, but yeah. it's not, it's not a criticism. I, I just, uh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a, the. I think when you come into this one, you have to be coming in with the perspective that cross pollination is sort of the goal, right? For us to hear what other people are doing yeah. that we normally would not run into in our regular day to day operations, right? But that 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 is a double edged sword, right? Because yeah. it means that in some ways, yeah, you, you sit in on on some of these sessions, and I I sat in on one yesterday on quantum computing, and I walked out still having no idea what the <laughs> session was. It was a great session, and everybody was really engaged. And I'm like, I don't I don't understand. This is a little too far afield for my comfort zone, right? Um, and maybe you know, then and on one hand, I want to dismiss that and say, okay, well, you know, there are some that you don't get anything out of, but the, there's a part yeah. of it that's like, no, this is the kind of thing where a seed is planted, and a couple yeah. of years from yeah. now, I'll go, oh, I remember that talk, and I remember that guy. I'm going to go look that up because yeah. right now it's relevant. Yeah. And, and I hope that that's the kind of thing that happens here. I heard somebody describe this conference also as sort of like the thing where this is the this is the de- the developers' conference, yeah. right? And yeah. by that, they mean it's really oriented toward the people who are. Exactly. Yeah. You need to understand that in my sort of like complaint that I just yeah. <laughs> I, I come from the consumer yeah. part. Yeah. So I'm a journalist and, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out everything. Yeah. So from the that side, it, it feels a bit complicated. Now, if yeah. you're a technologist or a developer yourself yeah. and you're here to precisely get pollinated with all these ideas, then you're in the right 
right spot, even if some of the conferences are too advanced or too niche or whatever. But you're absolutely right. You're you're this 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 uh, diversity that exists here and the, the exposing yourself to yeah. these ideas that might not feel relevant now and so forth yeah. down the line will be is incredible. But it is, is it not your first time as an entrepreneur here? Yeah, but, uh, this is the second. So we launched last year and now I'm really, uh, I, I am not a developer anymore, right? Okay. So this year, it's really sort of ringing true that I become less and less attuned to the nuances of the conversations that I had been, you know, when I was a full-time engineer. Uh, but we launched Fermion last year at right. Open Source Summit in Austin. And, and uh, I did one of the keynotes there. And it was so exciting because it was the first time that we kind of came out of our stealth mode and, and articulated the vision and and got to see people react by everything from our silly cat game to the core proposition that WebAssembly is the next wave of cloud computing. Oh, that's bold. Yeah, yeah. We'll and, talk about that. And, and now it's now it's the first year where we get to reflect and say, so how has this year gone for us? Okay. But, a, but yeah. Okay, that's an excellent right. question. Before we move on to that one exactly, um, or precisely, um, where does the name Fermion come from? <laughs> so Fermion is one of the two kind of um, one of two kinds of particles. Oh, bosons yeah. being the other, uh, and 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 Fermi uh, uh, was the one who discovered all of this. Uh, the team, ex with the exception of me, is all into physics. I'm a philosopher. My my formally trained philosopher, a PhD in philosophy, don't know a thing about physics, and yet they come up with a name that I have to explain over and over again, and my explanation gets worse every time I give it <laughs> because I really don't know. But I know fermions have spin. So when yeah. we created a project, we created a project called Spin. Okay. I know that they're distinct from bosons and that we will never name a project boson because that really just doesn't have that confidence building onomatopoeia. <laughs> arch enemies. Bosons are arch yeah. enemies. Uh, yeah. yeah, I like it. <laughs> so Fermion develops basically, not basically, at a very high level, WASM technologies. Would that be an... an yeah. Okay, yeah. so what is WASM? What is WebAssembly? Yeah, that's a great place to start. Uh, WebAssembly, you can you can go online and you can read a number of different definitions of it, some of which are highly technical and yeah. some of which are very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But I think really at the end of the day, the way to the way to approach it is by looking at what came as a precursor to it and work our way right. from there into what this is. All right. At its core, WebAssembly is a bytecode format that you can compile languages to. Okay. So when we're thinking about it in, in the in the big landscape, this is not the first time we've seen a bytecode format. You know, Java was is kind of the paradigmatic one with .NET also being another good example. So Java, you take a particular language, the Java programming language, yeah. you compile it to bytecode, which is a platform neutral intermediary binary representation or, you know, a binary format that's not native. Which is not, by the way, as low level as assembly per se. Right. Yeah. It's a bit yeah. high level. Yeah. It's yeah. So okay. it describes what the program needs to do in a fast, executable way, but not system specifically. So then you need the JVM to execute that bytecode and manage to do the, the the plumbing through to the underlying operation system and the okay. underlying architecture. And what's what's the beauty? What was the benefits of introducing that intermediate uh, bytecode for, for Java at least? Would you? Know? Yeah. So for Java, the kind of original mantra was you know write once, run anywhere. Okay. Um, so portability. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and Java, you know, keeping in mind Java was actually a language that was designed initially in its first inception to be an embedded programming language. That value proposition is very big because we know once we get to the embedded world, that's where you really start to hit a lot of exotic operating systems, oh, yeah. a lot of exotic uh, architecture. Hardware. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and but this, you know, the JVM uh, made some, and .NET as well, right? Yeah. So well, maybe I should pause here and say, so we've seen about 20 years of development on the idea of, you know, a, a, a top quality bytecode-based 
uh, virtual machine, language virtual machines, mm. right? And and and, it, and you know, with two kind of pioneers leading the way, Java on one hand, and then .NET on the other. And over time, they've done a lot of innovations. They've introduced JITs, and then they JIT compilers, just-in-time compilers, yes, yeah. and then they've managed to optimize those and begin to do some really as as they've gone back and forth in the kind of performance race and feature race. Exactly, because because the existence of JITs precisely is like moving away from not necessarily bytecode, but like pr pr promoting performance rather, yeah. right? Because it, yeah. okay. Because once you're running it, then you know what the system architecture is. Exactly. Right? And you know what the operating system is. So you can start optimizing for the specific instance that you're running on. And so Java and, and .NET, you know, they go back and forth, honing and retooling. Well, so at some point then, uh, you know, uh, a, a group of engineers that were uh, comprised of people from all the major browser vendors, right? We had some Microsoft people, some Mozilla people, yeah. some uh, some Google people from the Chrome team, the Safari team, and they all get together and start talking in about 2015 about building a runtime for the browser that would borrow, that would learn from a lot of the lessons from the Java and .NET ecosystem as far as a bytecode, an intermediary bytecode format, but one that was really, uh, at that point, targeted toward executing in the web browser. And the use case for this, by the way, was... Uh, wouldn't it be cool if we could take that old legacy C library, compile it to this kind of format, and then access it from JavaScript in the browser? Okay. That was kind of the original idea. I get that. Or, okay. or what if we wanted to write some really high-performance number-crunching code? This is the way Figma uses it when they use C++ to write their code, compile it to WebAssembly, and then they execute it in the browser. And use oh, it okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you got kind of a couple of these use cases that involve really taking advantage of languages, language features that are outside of Java or bringing in legacy code that, sorry, JavaScript, or bringing in legacy code that's outside of JavaScript and making it accessible within the web browser. Oh, I see. I see. Who who wants to touch that? Yeah, I see. I see the motivation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you get, you end up with WebAssembly, this specification that's going to do something similar to what Java and .NET did, but in a different environment. So it's got kind of four key features, and we'll probably go back and forth on these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These key features are things that have enabled all kinds of interesting stuff. It's got to have a good security model, right? Because you essentially are saying, I should be able to run an untrusted binary inside of the browser. And of course, I don't want that binary to be able to root my box or even to be able to be used as an attack vector against the JavaScript sandbox. Wait, let me interject before yep, we move yep. on to this precisely. Um, so Wasm is then a spec. Uh -huh. which to which yeah. companies like Fermion mm -hmm. build against products, right? Or yeah. products that are conformant with that. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you guys contribute to that spec? Is that mm -hmm. a spec evolving and so forth? Oh, yeah. that's and, and this is an excellent question because it is a specification and that's what makes WebAssembly uh, sort of impervious to some of the previous attempts to embed richer programming languages in okay. the browser. So the W3C is, yeah. the, is the standards body that oversees WebAssembly. Okay. Uh, that's the same body that does HTML and CSS. Uh, and, and they run it just like they run all their other projects. So there's a, a broad consortium of people who work together on that, ranging from you know the big browser vendors to small companies like Fermion to edge providers like Fastly, uh, just kind of this, this big... Uh, uh, you know, cross segment of an industry that cares about this kind of runtime programming, okay. this kind of performance. So we've we've got that WASI. Uh, apologies, WAS. Uh, I want to move on to WASI exactly, but that's what I was thinking. So WASM is a spec that is uh, hosted in the W3C, and and then a, a, an ecosystem of tools is mm -hmm. built around it. Right. Yeah. We will go also into the benefits of that or, or yeah. WASM in, in in a minute. But so, what is WASI then? Let's let's describe the whole ecosystem. If 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 these are equal yeah. peers, yeah. In this 
Uh, so WASI stands for the WebAssembly System Interface. Okay. So when we think about what what is the specification that W3 has done already, it's really a, the bytecode format and a way to execute it, right? So when we're when we're talking about that, we're talking about the core kind of compute features. Yes. But we're not talking about how that compute feature interfaces with the world around it. Exactly. And so the original idea, again, browser-focused, was, well, you, you can just inject uh, functions from JavaScript into the WebAssembly runtime, and it can call out, or you can... Essentially, you're just describing sort of like an RPC model between yeah. JavaScript and the, yeah. and the binary. But then, uh, you know, as we started looking at cases outside of the web browser, uh, it, it became evident to, to the, the group working on the WebAssembly standards that... Um, if you were going to move it out of the browser, you needed some sort of common system interface kinds of things. Opening and closing files, reading, writing files, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, reading environment variables, accessing the system clock, accessing a random number yeah. generator, and so on. Yeah. So that the, so distinct from WASM, the, the binary format, this is the second set of standards began emerging that said this is how WebAssembly can safely and securely interface with other kinds of features so that from the, from the developer's perspective, they're opening and closing files when they write their code. But from the host perspective, the thing that's running it, maybe it's a real file system. Maybe it's some in-memory representation okay. of it. Maybe, it, but, but that abstraction there makes it so that you can uh, expose all the familiar idioms to the developers using it. Yeah. While still uh, reserving your ability to implement a, a security model that is much stricter than or, or whatever, uh, much more elaborate than or flexible than merely passing system calls straight through to the underlying operating system. Okay. And here again, we could we could actually contrast this with Java. This is one of the reasons why WebAssembly is distinct from Java. Okay. You know, when, when you think about how Java's runtime works, there are a certain set of core assumptions. One of them is that by default, Java's security posture is that the 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 code that it that the JVM executes is trusted. Okay. Right? Uh you know, uh when when JVM starts when the JRE starts up and you give it a file. It says, "Okay, yeah, you asking for uh, you're asking for a file on the file system. Sure, knock yourself out. You want to start up a server? Knock yourself. No out, questions right? out. Yeah, yeah, because that was the model that the developers were thinking of as they created Java. Yeah. this is going to be a general purpose language. The security posture of WebAssembly was the opposite, in which by default the guest code is untrusted." And you assume, again, think about the browser model, right? Yeah. You're assuming that you downloaded random code off yeah, the internet well, and you're running it and you want to protect the environment from it. And so then, you, by default, the WebAssembly can't do anything, right? If it asks for a file, by default, no, of course not, right? Or we'll give you an empty file system and you can, you know... Do nothing with do it. Do nothing with it, yeah. Uh, and then you then WASI provides these ways of saying, okay, this is how I'm going to securely grant this binary okay. access to these things and I'm going to present them as files. But for the developer, it's like your regular old POSIX-E system yeah. calls and you're just like opening yeah. the file, reading it, closing it, and then so on. And so WASI really is an enabling technology to allow WebAssembly to be run outside of the browser environment in, in a wide variety of different kinds of circumstances. Does any example come to mind that describes the use of WASI specifically or...? Yeah, yeah. I think there are kind of... Uh, well, so the the first version of WASI, yeah. WASI is an evolving spec. Their uh, their preview release one just added sort of files and environment variables and system clock and those kinds of things. Preview okay. release two will add networking. Preview release three adds concurrency. But but what that enabled us to do was start writing standalone programs that could be run through an interpreter like WASM time. Okay. Uh, when one of the things that we at Fermion got started with was saying, well, you know, we see a lot of potential 
for WebAssembly running as uh, to running serverless workloads, and we can get into that in a little bit. But I'll just okay. describe very quickly okay. right here why that was why Wazzy was germane to that one, right? So we wanted to say, okay, uh, if we if we wanted to just sort of expose a minimal uh, surface that we could build a thing in, could we re-implement CGI? You know, the the common gateway to the interface from you know, the, the late 90s, the first way we all did web development. Yeah. Could we re-implement that with WASI and basically provide people with a with a very interesting idea? Of, oh, I see. You can take WebAssembly, you can use this old standard, and you can write applications the way we used to. It was a fun starting yeah. point because it was sort of retro. Think, and kind yeah, of, yeah. But it gave people, it opened up people to this idea that now we could run CGI, which was notoriously insecure yeah. because the way it originally worked was it just... The web server shelled out to the operating system and ran something, there you, go. you know, no guardrails whatsoever. But here we could run it in a secure and sequestered runtime and make a very secure version of CGI. So it was a fun first experiment. Actually got us inspired to what we built later on. Okay. But that's a good example of how WASM okay. is to do something outside of the browser. Because security is probably the... I was hesitant to say the main driver, but if not the main driver, one of the main ones. What, what is it natural to WASM... Should we use, by the way, WASM to call the overarching technology to include WASI and WASM? I think I think it's fair to, to okay. at this point to do that. There's no real distinguishing okay. the technology and the particular specification. Okay. So then, is would you agree? And if so, or if you disagree, what are the reasons for um, security being the driver behind the adoption of or interest, yeah. at least in yeah. in WASM? Yeah, and I think, you know, in the browser model, it made sense, right? Security needed to be a, fe a core feature of this yeah. if you were going to run untrusted user code. But when you think about the number of environments, particularly now with the rise of cloud over the last yeah. decade or so, uh, the, a core principle that we think of when we think about the way we architect things is being able to rent somebody else's server yep. and execute my workload there. Now, take the server providers, you know, take AWS's perspective or Azure's perspective, yeah. right? They're running gobs and gobs of code that they didn't audit, that they didn't write, that they've never looked into. Uh, of course, they're not going to trust that, right? They they want to keep you know one one customer from attacking another customer. Yeah. They want to protect anybody from keep anybody from attacking Amazon itself. And so that kind of security model suddenly becomes very important. You can also think about plugins and the way plugin architecture yeah. work too, where you want to be able to allow somebody to extend your application. But you don't necessarily want that to become a vehicle for a security for an attack against your system. So that kind of core security posture okay. that was the distinguishing factor of WebAssembly sort of in the browser over against Java and 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 .NET that th that has a broad set of applications where where a number of others of us were looking at that model and going, yes, that's what I want. You know, that solves a problem for me. Okay. So what another? I, I was hesitant before to say uh, that security was the main one because another contestant to this is portability, yeah. right? The ability yeah. to run everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so could you explain why is it so portable? And uh, I mean, you've already explained it, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. if you can and, elaborate a bit more. On that. Yeah, the portability story is really important. Uh, and again, we can talk about why it was important in the web browser and how that ripples out, right? Okay. So think about the, the, the web browser in, you know, back in the 90s, uh, it was not uncommon, unfortunately, to load a web page and have it say, oh, you can't run this website because it's IE only, has to run on Windows, has to, or it's, or it's you know, uh, Linux only and, and Netscape, or, Netscape, Netscape, that's the word I was looking for, <laughs> Netscape only. And, and for a while that was tolerated, but we all didn't like it, right? 
And, and, and as the web matured, that story became untenable and everybody had to say, it's got to run anywhere, right? Yes. Operating system can't be a, a, a determining factor as, you know, ARM sort of arose again as a, as a prominent desktop and, and system architecture. Uh, of course, then we wanted to make sure it was cross ar architecture as well, a cross processor. Uh, and so that became a necessary feature for the world of the browser. Uh, but when you think about the way that we're doing a lot of cloud services, uh, the rise of ARM in the data center, when I was at Microsoft, the, you, can, you can imagine there are two dimensions to this, right? First of all, Microsoft created Windows. So, yeah. of course, it's important for, my, for Azure to be able to support Windows workloads. But also, <laughs> Linux is, you know, the standard platform for the cloud. Yeah. So they had two operating systems they need to make sure has excellent coverage. And then they had, you know, Intel architectures and then ARM in the data center starts showing up. Yes. And so suddenly you're telling your developers you need to write a version of your Docker container that runs on each of these permutations, right? I need a Windows ARM, I need a Windows Intel, I need a Linux ARM, I need a... and developers do not like spending time doing this kind of thing. Don't mention RISC-V. No, no, yeah, yeah. Don't bring and that. I mean, and this is, yeah, exactly. That, that is an excellent point. This is not a problem that's going away. Oh, no. This is a problem that's, that we're going to see a richer set of complexities exactly. as we start to be able to, to do things in better and better ways. Exactly. We will be optimizing for sustainability, for performance, and uh -huh. the variety of architectures for that is Yeah, yeah. It's not going away. Yeah, and so when we were, so when the Fermion team were looking at WebAssembly as a candidate to provide us a, an ultra lightweight runtime for the cloud. So to give a little context, right? When we, when we think about cloud computing, we think right now of two big categories. There are virtual machines, yeah. which go from operating in system and drivers all the way up with all the bells and whistles up to the application you're running. Yeah. They're the powerhouse of the cloud, right? They're never going away because they are so powerful. Yeah. But they're also slow, uh, difficult to move the images around, difficult to build the images, slow to start up. You know, it takes minutes to start one up. Uh, so, so we needed a second kind of compute. And Docker containers kind of came on the scene and we were like, oh, look at this. We don't have to ship the kernel and the drivers anymore. We can just kind of take one application and its dependencies and the supporting tools we needed and we could build a long running process that ran inside of a Docker container and we could run our servers that way. Correct. So that was kind of the landscape we were looking at when we started hearing from developers, you know what we really like? We like this whole Lambda-y like thing. We like these serverless functions because all I have to do is write a very small program that takes a request, processes it, returns a response, and shuts down. No packaging, no yeah. dependencies. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're, we're suddenly talking about a thing that, whose lifetime is milliseconds to maybe a few minutes compared to a container that's designed to be run for days or months or yeah, so on and virtual machines, which are designed to run basically yeah. indefinitely, yeah. right? And so we're looking at that and, and, and kind of the limitations that the current serverless models have had. And when you know, these limitations are based on the fact that that style of, of startup run shut down in, in seconds was being executed on platforms that were built either to run from kernel, to, you know, the virtual machine from kernel to top of the stack. Yeah. Uh, and that's inefficient or run long running processes like servers and yeah. that's inefficient. So we said, what if there's a third kind of computing runtime that would be really secure and would be cross-platform and cross-architecture, yeah. but could really be optimized for this like super fast startup, execute, run to completion, shut down. And that's what got us interested in WebAssembly because all of those characteristics that were good in the web browser, the security model, the yeah. execution model, the cross-platform, cross-architecture story, those were exactly the, the set of features we were looking for. And so Fermion built a couple of tools around this, a Spin, a developer tool, that was open source one? developer tool. Okay. Uh, and Spin basically helps you get from, 
you know, the blinking cursor to the scaffolded application to the compiled WebAssembly binary and then to the to the locally running instance. Oh, okay. And then you need a place to deploy your application. And so you can push it up into Fermion Cloud, which is our hosted version, or you can set up your own Fermion platform and run it on your own infrastructure. Or you can use like Azure's AKS offering. They have spin support. Docker Desktop has spin support. So oh, there's all these okay. different places you can deploy these kinds of applications, but the, it's really optimized for that millisecond to, to seconds, maybe minutes kind of time frame for executing this application. And apologies for the ignorant question, but then orchestrating these uh, processes, mm -hmm. functions, whatever they are, does require a Kubernetes-like orchestration scheduler? I, I think in most cases, you really want one. Okay. Right? So Fermion Cloud, we run Nomad for our orchestration okay. scheduler. Uh, which is uh, works great for us for the use case we want. We're really trying to optimize for very quick scalability. Okay. Uh, but also Kubernetes is another environment in which you can run these. The okay. Container D project has a has a has a sub project called RunWazzy, and that is basically the little shim layer that allows you to plug in something like Spin or something like Wasm Time, any of these kind of WASI uh, WebAssembly WASI uh, uh, runtimes, and be able to execute those kinds of workloads inside of Kubernetes as if they were containers. So you use the same pod manifest and, and and describe your applications in the same way you can use deployments and replica sets and, and all of these kinds of things. But but the binaries, instead of being container images, are WebAssembly and they get scheduled down yeah. to the WebAssembly runtime. So but you're right, your your intuition there is one hundred percent correct. You still okay. want to to get the most out of this, in most use cases you still want to be able to schedule this out to run across a cluster and so you want an orchestrate. The last question I had about this and we can move on to Success stories you've mentioned before before we started recording the BBC iPlayer. Ah, yeah, happy you've yeah. even mentioned another one, not no worries, but you had one bullet point yesterday in your talk uh, that was that says literally, ideally can support any language. Oh yeah. What does the ideally mean? Okay. Otherwise, why did you preface it with that word? <laughs> so so let's imagine what the biggest risk of WebAssembly is gonna be. You defined a really cool bytecode format. Yeah. Uh, that has all these great security features and all of these, but it's it, any language, the, the, the language there, right? Any language should be able to compile to the WebAssembly binary format. Yeah. Who has to do the work of making sure languages compile to these formats? That's an open-ended question, right? But the technology itself cannot succeed unless languages start supporting it. And so when I, you know, when I when I was looking back on what the big things was, were that caused fear and anxiety in me a couple of years ago, it was what if C and Rust are the only two languages, the two, you know, proof of concept languages that ever get big support in WebAssembly? That's not a compelling use case if you've only got those two languages. What you really need, and then you know, we kind of keyed into the Redmond top, top twenty languages, but you could pick any of those kinds of big language rankings. You really want that top twenty. Right, yeah. to be supported, or as many of them as possible. Yeah. So what what the big risk was was that those communities wouldn't move. Oh, okay. Uh, and and what's what's happened over the really over the last two years more than anything, we started to see .NET moving, uh, and by Microsoft, Microsoft started investing. Swift started moving. The community built a Swift to Wasm compiler and is working on upstreaming it into the mainline Swift. Then we saw Python go and Ruby and JavaScript and TypeScript. And, and suddenly, as of 2023, of the top 20 languages, about 17 of them are now at least in progress toward adding WebAssembly as one of the compile targets or one of the runtime targets. And of course, C++ uh, probably did not 
It, actually, C++ oh, okay. is one of them, largely because it's a, you know, if you can compile C and you can pre-process something, you can get C++. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's that's how Figma, Figma writes most of it. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so it's been interesting to see sort of this big-time momentum moving. And in some language communities, like C, Python, and C, Ruby are both core projects for Python and Ruby. Okay. That's where the, that's where the, 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 the development happened, right? So the core teams worked on this. It's core part of the language ecosystem. Wow. Swift, in contrast, the community built it and now is working with Apple to mainline that into the Swift language. Um, oh, I didn't know that about the model of Swift. So Apple yeah. needs to approve any any upstream merger? Is it not an open source project, Swift? Oh, I, I, it is open source. And they okay. basically... They bought the community wanted to fork it, build the WebAssembly compiler, and then and then have that upstreamed back in. Um, but so. th but does it need Apple's approval in a in a way? I imagine so. Okay. I've, I've got to say that's not a community I know the mechanics. No way. But I imagine so. so. And, and but it does speak to sort of the the richness of the dilemma here. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And even you have some like uh, like Java, where Oracle is is not particularly fast moving on things like yeah. this. But there are all kinds of alternate Java virtual machines out there like TVM and GraalVM and all of those. And a lot of those are moving very quickly toward WebAssembly. So it'll be interesting to see how a, how a really big, rich language ecosystem like Java uh, can move along yeah. even if the central player isn't necessarily going to be the leader in this case. Because on the other end is, well, success, I guess. And several examples. I mean, I mentioned the BBC play, iPlayer because you mentioned it and it sounded yeah. fascinating. You've yeah. mentioned also Figma. Do you want to describe any of those in particular or any other that you know well that applies uh fermion technologies yeah. to sort of like uh you know take the most out of uh, wasm yeah and we talked about figma a little bit which was a really good browser case another funny browser case and this could be mythical right even though i heard this story at microsoft i, I, I know a company in spain called graphics that does it very well but uh that was oh, it okay. that one the one they're thinking of no this oh, one's okay. about microsoft itself oh so wow. there's a myth and possibly true, but I, I don't know. Okay. The, in Office 365, the web browser version, there was some particularly finicky code that had been in Excel for, you know, since the dawn of the universe, right? And nobody touched this code. But it was necessary to have this kind of library's behavior in the spreadsheets so that so that the, the Office 365 version is 100% compatible with the desktop version. Yes. So the story goes that they actually compiled that library, that C library, to WebAssembly. Oh, wow. So that they could get this kind of one-to-one -one behavior. I would love, if any of you ever know that, that whether this is true, I mean, I heard this story at Microsoft, so, you know, <laughs> but fables do have a way of being more attractive than reality. But I like those kinds of stories that say, look, Sometimes we've got this code that needs new life, but nobody's going to actually go in and edit the code. This is a way to do that. Uh, you mentioned BBC, and I and BBC is a really cool. It's, it's actually so BBC, Amazon Prime's player, and uh, supposedly also Disney Plus's player all use WebAssembly. And the reasoning behind this is really cool. So uh, you know, it is in BBC's and and Amazon Prime's best interest yeah. to have their players on as many of the devices and TVs and sticks and uh, you know, game playing things as they can. Maybe in the in the Tesla. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Depending on your driving style. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and what? But think about the 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 typical language for IoT is C. Yeah. And writing C that's multi-platform across what BBC said they support nine thousand devices. Right. That would be. I I mean it boggles my mind oh, yeah. what that would look like. Yeah. Right. But it would be really cool if you could write a really small hardware-specific shim that had a web WebAssembly interpreter in it and then put the bulk of the shared code in the WebAssembly level. 
And that that's basically the approach that these players oh, take. Fantastic. And that's really cool. I just I think that is such yeah. a cool way of, of showing the value of a technology built for the browser in an environment that is very different from the browser. Indeed. Uh, you know, the IoT, you know, again, being this one where every byte counts when yeah. you're there and you oh, do yeah. end up dealing with some very exotic hardware configurations. And so that's a really cool application. Low compute. Yeah. And then, you know, because I can't help plug Fermion, right? I mean, what we've really looked at trying to tackle this serverless environment and okay. say, how can we build a better kind of serverless functions? And, you know, when we went into it, we said, okay, now we think that at looking at the data, a lot of people really want to be able to write very simple web applications or uh, or multifunction web applications yep. that just live in that kind of Lambda-y world, but Lambda is too slow to execute those. Takes a couple hundred milliseconds to half a second to close. Is that the problem that you reckon has stalled a bit the momentum that? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, that in the developer experience. Okay. Two yeah. things that we're very I heard that. Yeah. About. Okay. Yeah. And so we went. Okay. Well, WebAssembly startup time. We could get it all the way down with using basically JIT and and ahead of time compiling techniques. We could get a cold start of a WebAssembly application down to one millisecond. Wow. So yeah. 199 to 499 milliseconds faster than than what we were seeing with AWS Lambda. And that's a really compelling thing. And oh, if yeah. we could tell a good developer story on top of that, which is something we have worked diligently to do, yeah. then suddenly we can offer a really compelling case and say, look, you can write web application backends, microservice style things uh, in WebAssembly or in the language of your choice. Because the WebAssembly part isn't even a part that's necessarily visible to the develop yeah. developer. Write it in Rust, write it in JavaScript, whatever. It gets compiled, pushed up somewhere, and executed blazingly fast. Is Spin providing that developer experience? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And in any design decisions that you feel particularly proud of, uh, any constraints that actually help in that sense to the to make uh, functions as a service or serverless yeah. uh, more yeah. more easily consumable and yeah delightful. Yeah, we really, I mean, our core user story for the entire 2022 year, you know, we use user stories to make sure we're guiding our feature roadmap to actually meet the needs of the user. And our core one, the one we just absolutely were inflexible on, uh, was as a developer, I can go from a blinking cursor to a deployed application in two minutes or less. Wow. And we went, okay, that's ambitious. ambitious. Yeah, but it, it should reflect, and this is, you know, this is going to be the Hello World style application, yeah. right? But the idea is, it can't be the kind of thing that's going to be cumbersome for the developer to pick up. Uh, you, you really want this. For us, it was like, imagine yourself on a Friday afternoon. You're winding down on your last hour of a day. You can't leave early. You, don't, you, you just want something to try and get you excited about your job again. <laughs> How can they come to Fermion, try this thing out, experience success, and go away for the weekend going, that was fun. Maybe next week I'll try yeah. something bigger with yeah. it. And that was kind of the this, this story we told ourselves that we really would love to be able to satisfy a developer there. So we've worked really hard to tell that story. Originally, you know, again, the big risk for us was what if languages don't move, Yeah. right? And we've seen languages start moving, in fact, faster than we can integrate them with mm -hmm. Spin. And that's awesome. Uh, and uh, But it's it's been this kind of environment where we're just really excited because we hear from developers, yeah, yeah, this is the experience I want. And that, And now they're kind of saying, hey, you know what would be great? If I didn't have to manage a database when I needed a database. Oh, yeah. And WebAssembly is kind of uniquely suited to be able to abstract away from that kind of network layer sort of thing. So when we were at KubeCon in Amsterdam a couple of weeks ago, our big announcement was we we announced key value storage that is built in to the platform so that you don't have to manage the service at all. That's, that's ops work, right? 
So when I'm building an application locally, yeah. uh, I should be able to call just as if it were an API level call. Hey, you know, get store, whatever. I shouldn't manage connections. I should never even see a username, password, connection, yeah. string, or yeah. anything like that. And locally, that should be just some kind of local storage. We mm -hmm. actually use SQL, uh, SQLite to do that locally. Okay. Uh, but then when you deploy it, yes. you want that same set of features, but you want a real database behind it, right? And not, not, I don't mean that pejoratively against SQLite, right? No, but no, I mean, it's a distributed database, database the... it's going to be up all the time, and it's going to get automatically backed yeah, yeah. up. But, but the developer doesn't want to manage the ops for that. So we said, all right, well, in Fermion Cloud, we can build it in. Because again, this is outside of the guest code the developer is writing. It's in the runtime itself. Yeah. And so we made it so that, you know, when you deploy, if you need the key value storage, it's just there, right? And again, no connection management, no username and password. Uh, ironic, uh, not, uh, ironic. Uh, we were surprised to see that Dino and Vercel both released similar things for their JavaScript platforms within a couple of weeks of us announcing. Which I guess is validation of it. Did, yeah, that this is like, this is something developers really crave because it's an easier story. And we've been pushing them with Kubernetes closer and closer to having to know more and more about yeah. the ops layer. And here we're, we're swinging the pendulum the other way and saying, you know what? We know you need key value storage. We know, we know you're going to need relational database and we're going to add that kind of thing next, yeah. right? How can we remove every single speed bump along the way? Wow. So this is the last question that I have for you, actually. What is next for WASM, for the X system? What, what is next for Fermion? Yeah. Like, um, yeah. What, what, what's the next stage for adoption and... Uh, so we got on, on WebAssembly, the core, we got a couple of specifications that are moving through that are really important. Uh, there's a memory management one that'll help bring along uh, several different languages like Kotlin and Dart. Uh, we've got uh, the the remainder of the WASI work, yeah, Preview 2, Preview 3, and then the final release. And then we've got this thing called the component model. And this is super cool. This is, the, is, this is the thing I am actually really, the worst name for a technology. That it sounds very dull. I yeah, will see yeah. that. It's like, yeah. So anytime I have to say it's super cool after saying the name, you know that the name was um, undersell, the name undersells it, right? So here you got a, a neutral bytecode format. Yeah. And, and inherent in it is this ability to call in and out of the environment outside of it. What would be really cool is if we could say, hey, uh, this is, WebAssembly library was built in Rust, this one in Java, this one in Python. I'm writing a piece of JavaScript. I can just import all of those as if they were JavaScript libraries. Or, or another way to say it is, I should be able to link to them without caring at all what language they were written in. Okay, well, all we really need is a specification that says, these are the functions I export, these are the functions I import. Yeah. This is the library I export, this is the library I import. And the component model is a way to do that. And you can kind of think of it as, taking a lot of those ideas that were latent in technologies like RPC and then gRPC, yeah. or even rewinding the clock way back to DCOM and CORBA, but bringing them into relevance in this kind of new and, and fascinating environment. And if that works out, then finally we will get to that point where we don't have to write a YAML parser in every language yeah. under the sun and a network library, a database driver in every language under the sun, and we'll be able to kind of share those. So that's coming along too. Oh, yeah. that's, okay. that's coming along this year. We've been prototyping some of it in spin, and it is it is fun. I mean, it's just such a jolt of adrenaline to go, it doesn't matter what language this host library came from. I can just start calling functions. And um, and so we've been playing around with that a little bit. The specification is still in flight, but should come out later on this year. So that's the exciting stuff on the standard side. Uh, on Fermion's side, you know, we're just excited to continue telling this great story about how easy it is to develop serverless applications that are going to be super fast. It yeah. can run anywhere from Fermion Cloud to Docker to, you know, your random Kubernetes cluster to, you know, a Nomad cluster. Yeah. Right. And that, that I think to us is really exciting. We'll keep rolling out these data services and keep rolling out language support.
Well, that was a fabulous conversation. Thanks so much, Matt. And, yeah. uh, Thanks for having me. This was fun. My pleasure. I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you very much.